Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to, to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And this is the first episode of our special limited event series on Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Oh, that's right. This is it. This is it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing all seven books. It's happening. One book at a time. One book at a time. One book per episode. Yeah. One guest per episode. We got special guests. We got special guests coming in. Uh, not this episode. This no. is just us. This one's just us. But in the future, every episode, a special guest, some Ruin My Life favorites. Yep. Uh, some, some new faces, some fresh faces. You know. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. And we're going to talk about Harry Potter. We are. Which is a big, big thing. It's a big thing. It's very popular. <laughs> um, it is... As I've said on previous episodes, the most popular thing we've ever done, probably. I think that's probably true, yeah. Uh, to beat this one, we would have to do an episode about the Bible, <laughs> which... Um, I mean... Uh, who would... Which one would I... Kelsey, why don't you tell people what Harry Potter is? Now, I know, I know, <laughs> everyone in the world knows what Harry Potter is and who Harry Potter is. But let's, you know, this is the first episode. Yeah, we'll lay it out there. Let us like J.K. Rowling... Am I saying that right? That, that's correct, yes. Okay, okay. Rolling like bowling. Rolling. <laughs> uh, like J.K. Rowling laid out such a strong foundation in her first book in the Harry Potter series, let us lay a strong foundation as well. Okay. And that's, uh, what what is this thing all about? So Harry Potter is a children-slash-young-adult book series about uh, a young English boy who discovers that he is a wizard and gets shipped off to magic school, basically. <laughs> Well, he goes off on his own free will to magic he school. He goes he off get on his own free will. He, he, like, he wants to go because his relatives are sucky. The school's name, Hogwarts. Hogwarts. He meets a, a cast of magical and fanciful characters. And and we are introduced to the, the sprawling magical world that exists within our own. And we are just sucked in. And it, you know, it was an international phenomenon. It got kids to read again. People don't know this. Kids stopped reading. They stopped reading. Between the years of 1992 and 1997. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until this the kids started reading again. Why did they stop in 1992? Uh, because Bill Clinton was elected president. Sure. <laughs> and he made uh, reading uncool again. Yeah, so there's there's seven books in the series. Yep. Each book follows one year in Harry Potter's life. Uh, you know, it's sort of built around his time at Hogwarts. It's not contained just to that, but that is how it's structured. And I, I haven't really read them. Not really, no. Not really. Okay, so uh, as as a long-time listeners know, the premise of this show is that I or Kelsey or a guest brings a, you know, something to the table that one or both of us, if it's a guest, possibly, have not experienced before, and then we experience it fresh with new eyes, and we discuss it between ourselves. Uh that's not exactly the case here for a couple of reasons. Number one... It's impossible to avoid. <laughs> yes, Harry Potter is one of those things like, you know... At your age, Star Wars yeah. or, you know, any sort of big cultural phenomenon that's been so absorbed by the culture that you can't not know yeah. at least the basics of it. Unless you've been living in like a commune somewhere with no internet access and no TV and no books. Yes, <laughs> it would be possible. And also like, you know... Uh, our ages, like we grew up, we were the prime we center are, of the demographic. We are the Harry, Harry Potter demographic. Our, our, I think our, like the five years sort of, sort of like people who are like 27 to like 33, I think are like really that prime demographic. But, you know, it does, it attracts all ages. Yeah, it's beloved by all ages and all generations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we were really at the center of it. So you yeah. could not grow up as us and not know, you know, if you didn't go to at least one midnight release party, it's because you, you didn't have friends. So, so yeah, <laughs> take that. Uh, the second reason why I'm not coming into this totally fresh is because I have seen all the movies, but I don't feel like that really disqualifies us, you know, because the movies are not beloved by most people as much as the books are. I, the most common opinion I've heard of the movies from like a, you know, a fan perspective is that they are good companion pieces to the books, but are not really super functional outside of that i can say that i you know, having not read the um the books when i saw these movies i enjoyed some of them i think more than people who had read the books they did but looking back on them i remember basically nothing from them <laughs> so they did not create a strong impression in my mind yeah, i kind of want to talk about that when we get to book three i think movie three is actually a very good 
standalone movie, but it's such a beloved book and people, a lot of people didn't like how much was cut out and, and things that were added like aesthetically and, and uh, cause Alfonso Cuaron directed it and I love it. Um, but a lot of people didn't cause like sort of like aesthetic things got put in for, and, and things, you know, beloved pieces of plot and, and world things got taken out. But I, it's actually one of my favorite movies because I feel like it, it works really well as a standalone movie, um, which is hard for some people. And I've always been kind of the person that tries, you know, I think the movies are good adaptations of the books, but I don't think they necessarily are the same. And I also don't think that they, like, that doesn't necessarily make them all good movies. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I think, like, one and two are the most faithful adaptations of the books, but they're the worst two movies. Yeah, no one likes two. Yeah, two is a, the movie is two is not great. Because one and two are both about the same level of quality, but when you get yeah. to two, the magic is all worn off. Yeah. <laughs> and you're left with only the, the bravura direction of Christopher Columbus, yeah. director of Home Alone 1 and yeah. Rent. Third, final reason, like I said, if, if you were, you know, nine years old when these books were becoming popular mm-hmm. and you did not read the first one, you were uh, you were sent to jail. You oh, went to jail for that. I, I did. You were required by law to read these books. So I, you know, I didn't go to jail. You read the books, though. Not until I was 12. Point being, you know, everyone read the first couple books. I mean, I read the first book because someone bought it for me, and then I was, like, not into it because I was, like, seven. (laughs) I'm too cool for books. And then my friend Ellen took me to see the movie, and I liked the first movie, and then I read all the books. Well, there you go. Yeah. Mo- mo- things I'm one, I'm both one ways. of the people that like in the fandom at, at a certain time like I wasn't a real fan because I got into it through the movies that's great yeah that's a, that's a good that's a good uh, you know good gate to keep you know you know I'm just gonna lay it out I've read the first three books before yeah I read them when I was you know eight nine and ten I guess yeah you don't remember much I don't remember them um you know so my perspective on these books is going to be skewed that way and again I do know some of the overall plot points of the movies and mm-hmm. sorry and the books as well yeah. so I'm not coming into totally fresh, but I am. I've never really engaged with them in the same way a lot of people have. Because people, you know, people who like love these books, and there's a lot of people love these books. They reread them. Yeah. They're very invested on a regular basis. Yes, yes. I've never done that. I've not read a single one of these books since I was ten or eleven. We'll get into that when the time comes. But the point is, full disclosure. But I think I'm still approaching it in a a new light. I think you are too. With soft eyes. And by the time it's before, you won't have read it at all. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think it is good, and like my favorite thing about these books is that every time I reread them, like I see new things, and that is amazing, and that's what makes them so amazing. I think for me, like the engagement engagement in the series that I I, I had was is is a big part of it, but I think it's not totally lost if you're not you know doing it in real time. I think one of the things that you're not gonna get. Because I, the part of the reason that the Harry Potter fandom is so the way it is, is because there was this wait, right? So the first four books came out four years, 97, 98, 99, 2000. And then there was, it's kind of, I guess, kind of like what, what's happening with like Game of Thrones right now, except it's way longer. <laughs> um, then there was just like this, there's basically a big cliffhanger at the end of four. And then three years until five came out and so in that three years like it's you know it was not only that but also like the or what you called like the rise of internet fandom culture like sort of happened in those three years and everyone got super invested into like theorizing and and predicting and writing what we would now call meta and fan fiction and and all that stuff and it just built this culture around it because there was no content, <laughs> which is normal now, but like wasn't then was like a new thing. Yeah, it was both new f- as a concept because this was the early 2000s. The internet yeah. was just becoming a really prominent thing in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And also it, it's unique because it was also, you know, for people of our age group, yeah. as we were talking about the Harry Potter generation, mm-hmm. you might call us. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call us that. Don't worry. <laughs> we, that was our first experience with fandom. Yeah. So it really sort of is, was very, you know, nothing burns brighter than that first morning star. The first cut is the deepest, as they say. <laughs> so it really, I think, left a lasting imprint on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And like, really, if you, and because like, I was surrounded by Harry Potter fans um, in high school, um, now in my adult life as well. Yeah. <laughs> on pretty much all sides. So I was sort of aware of what was happening to a certain extent, but not to the extent that you were, I'm sure. Yeah. But Kelsey, before we dive into the first book proper, 
let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about you. Yeah. So you said you you came to the books after you saw the first movie. Um, because well, you're my, because you're a dirty casual yeah, and a well, fake fan. Yeah, well, my grandmother gave me the first book because she had like you know heard everyone's reading it. You should read it, Kelsey. <laughs> my grandmother does not sound like that. Yeah, um, put put on a sweater. You're gonna catch cold. <laughs> Why don't you eat something? And I read it, and I just like didn't really want to read the next one or whatever. I mean, it hadn't come out yet, but I was like not. I wasn't like this is amazing. And I think I was even like a little young to really like read it on my own and and get that. Um, but then Ellen, when the first movie came out, and I was like, that was great. That was really good. I really liked that. And I'm going to go read the book again. And I was like, oh, okay. And the thing is, in 2001, I'm basically the same age as Harry. Like, in summer of 2001, I'm 11. Like, I'm primed to, to, to take that in at that point. And I think that was what I needed, you know? Like, I think I was just a little bit young when I was first given the books. And then... I was like, oh, okay, no, this is what it is. And then I read all four of them in like a very short time. And now you're like, I get you, Harry. Harry, yeah. I get it. I'm on the same level as you. We're here, you we're, know. We're, we're friends. We know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I felt like. And after that, you were in. I was in. Then I then then just, they were like, you know, you have to wait for the next book, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it all started with that first book, mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Which is what we're going to talk about. And... The Philosopher's Stone, or as the Americans call it, the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes, because we are dumb. We do, we're dumb. We don't know what it means. Philosopher's Stone, what, I don't know what that is. What is What's that? a philosopher? I've never heard of that. They have stones? Yeah, what, what is the, I, I don't get it. I don't even know. Alchemy? No, no, no. No. Sorcerer's Stone, or I won't get it. Also, make the words really big and make more pages. <laughs> and give me little drawings at the top of every chapter because I'm an American. I need little drawings. I like the little drawings. I like the little drawings too, actually. (laughs) You know, we're not going to break down the entire plot of book one, Mm -hmm. but an overall summary. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter is an 11-year-old boy, lives a bad, sad life with the Dursleys. His aunt and uncle and their terrible son, surrounded by sort of strange events throughout his life, like small little weird things like... He goes to the zoo and he makes a pane of glass disappear and a... Well, a pane of glass disappears. We don't know that he did it. Well, yes, but... But he did. <laughs> he, did he does. And a Brazilian python slithers out and has an accent for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> he calls Harry Amigo. Uh, also, he can talk to snakes. Yeah. Which is important later on. Yeah. Not as important as you would think from the second chapter of the book, which is all about that incident. Yeah. Uh, is it not as important as you would think? I mean, the the way the book is structured... That's like the first like real magical thing we see from Harry. Yeah, but so you, is it not important as you would think? I mean, the book, I know this, Kelsey, the book's not about <laughs> a boy who talks to snakes and makes friends with snakes and lives <laughs> in the snake world with his snake family. I'm just saying the fact that he can talk to snakes is important in the second book. Yes, it is important. It and is, remains important for a reason that I shall not disclose here. <laughs> <laughs> is it because Harry is a snake? Yes. Oh, no spoilers, Kelsey. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Th- then, you know, he turns 11. These letters start pouring in. Magical letters. Who are these letters from? No one knows. The Dursleys are so freaked out by this that they take Harry away. But they can't get away because who shows up there? Big old gentle giant named Hagrid. Hagrid. And he tells Harry, you're a wizard. Um, which The movie is, you're a wizard, Harry. Yeah. But it's actually, in the book, it's, Harry, you're a wizard. So it's one of those, like, you know, Luke, I'm your father type things where we remember it differently than... Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> it says, Harry, you're a wizard. Your parents were killed by Voldemort. I mean, he must not be named, but you know. Yeah. Uh, you didn't die, and now you're a famous wizard, and you can come with me and leave these jerks behind. <laughs> and he does. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he goes to Diagon Alley, where he buys those wizarding supplies, you know, meets some cool magic people, mm-hmm. you know, takes the train to Hogwarts, meets some new fun friends on the way. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets there, and it kind of is, from that point, just the story of his first year at the school. Mm-hmm. And there's a mysterious package being guarded by a three-headed dog. Yes. We, we, <laughs> we know about there's something mysterious going on in, in Gringotts. Oh, he picks up his money from Gringotts' vault, or some of it, to pay for school supplies. Because guess what? Harry Potter, his parents are dead, but he's got a sweet trust fund waiting yeah. there. He is rich, baby. Hell yeah. Give me that money. That when they're at school, Harry and his new friends, Ron and Hermione, sort of get wind of something weird going on. The way the plot develops is very gradual, and that sort of is partly what's so cool about the books. In general, have a unique approach to plot, but this first one especially, like, 
everything just develops out of them being at school and it's like, oh, we're in a new strange place and some weird stuff is going to happen regardless, but this also leads them into this intrigue. intrigue. Uh, centered around, especially P- Professor Snape, the potions master, who's a nasty, nasty, greasy boy who hates Harry and <laughs> hates children, it, it seems, except for um, the bad children. Yeah, he only likes the bad children. And things sort of develop from there. For this book, I really want to focus on that this is a children's book. And so as as the story, it's a simple story. It's not, you know, there's not a ton of stuff happening. Pretty easy to follow. Very episodic. You know, this happens and this happens and this happens. Overall, feels pretty low stakes. But the way that J.K. Rowling writes it, she introduces these threads that you know if you are an older reader if you're a more nuanced reader if you're not a seven-year-old child you're thinking about like she'll introduce things that are like you're like oh what wait what (laughs) i'm gonna come back to that (laughs) or Um, if you have any knowledge of the any any future books at all yeah you see things you're like that's wait isn't that is that gonna is that gonna be something later right but not an obvious way like it's all very offhanded yeah, she does that really well where she'll just sort of casually mention something and you, if you've already read the books or you're rereading the books, you'll, or you've read the books before, you'll be like, that's going to be important. I'll tell you about later when I have like my most triumphant prediction ever. I like about Harry Potter, but I don't want to spoil anything for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, the conflicts are 11 year old conflicts and they feel right. You know, Harry goes to school. He has to make new friends. He has to like you know, deal with a bully, basically. He has to deal with a a teacher who doesn't like him. That sucks, but it's, you know, it's very low stakes, very 11-year-old plot, which is good because we're just being introduced to this world and we're new to it like Harry is. Like, in some ways, Harry is very much audience surrogate and we're learning things as he he, uh, learns them. And I think that's another thing that people forget sometimes is that most of the time in these books, we are, even though it's not like, in the first person, we are coming at things from Harry's point of view. Not all the time, but most of the time. With this simple story and sort of, you know, her being able to layer things, like, and and it being simple on the surface, so, you know, a child can understand it, but also being able to layer things so that you're still interested in the world and in the story is, like, one of the things that makes it so compelling. Absolutely. And I think Harry as the device, as as the point of view character and as the person who you know we see this world through his eyes is a very is, is great because harry is a he's a, he's a child so he doesn't know very much about and he's like been cut off from the wizarding world for his entire life because of well i'll get back to this in a second <laughs> because of the dursleys um, but he doesn't know anything so everything has to be explained to him on the level of an 11 year old basically like they can't go too much into detail yet because he's like you know still coming at this very fresh just as we are coming at this totally you know with no knowledge uh, beforehand and it also you know, allows us to slowly be introduced into the world. And so like things can be mentioned offhandedly that are, you know, interesting later on. But, you know, we don't get overwhelmed with them all at once. He's not just a blank point of view character, although he is occasionally, but because he's this like figure in the wizarding world, he's famous for a thing that he puts it he doesn't remember doing, mm-hmm. basically. That he really had no control over. Like, you know, he sort of kind of defeated the Dark Lord in a way. Uh, not really, but like that's sort of his, his place in the world. He's a celebrity for that reason. So he's not just some random cipher. He's like, people have a feelings about him before they meet him. Mm-hmm. So even though he's not, you know, super active at first, he still is like, has a unique place in the society already and allows him to, you know, create interesting conversations yeah. and like, like dy- dynamics around him just and, through existing. And like, because of that, it's not like he's like an audience insert, you know, right, like right. He's, he's not a total blank slate. And, and I think that works really well as a device also you know and the fact that like he'll be reacting like people in this world know more about him than he knows about him which is such an interesting like way to develop a character and that 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 increases the intrigue too for you the reader yeah because you like because you're identifying with harry all of a sudden it's like you're finding something else about about yourself you didn't know about in a way i do want to touch on well the dursleys specifically but more broadly is the fact that these books are the first one especially is sort of wish fulfillment in a way like it's this fantasy of like you know you leave this you know dreary humdrum normal world behind and you join this magical wizarding place that they're like anything can happen like 
fantastical stuff is all around you. There's unlimited possibilities. There's cool candy because you're 11 and that's what you care about is yeah. the cool candy. <laughs> I mean, but it's not pure wish fulfillment because Harry, you know, goes to Hogwarts and he still has problems, as you mentioned. Like things are still happening around him. He has to deal with stuff and that gets more pronounced later on in the series as things get more severe or so I understand yeah. anyway. Um, but the thing is... In order for that to work, you have to establish that Harry's life is a thing worth leaving behind. And they do that, or J.K. Rowling does that, through the Dursleys, his awful, terrible adopted family. I mean, they're his aunt and uncle. Yes, but he is placed in their care yeah. by Dumbledore. <laughs> the first of many iffy decisions by Dumbledore. The first of the many way. iffy decisions well, by Dumbledore. Not the first chronologically, but the first... Uh, you know, in the books. In the books, yes. <laughs> Harry is, you know, immediately after his parents are killed, he is left as an infant on the Dursley's doorstep in the middle of the night. In November. And these people are, <laughs> are so, I mean, even before we meet, even before they meet Harry in the books, like we see them for a little bit before that. And they are so awful. There is no way if Dumbledore had done any sort of background research on these people, he would ever have left this young, vulnerable child with them. Like, why did he have to leave them with these people? All will be revealed. They, does that reveal later on? Yeah. Okay, because I have some mm. concerns about it now. Because he had to leave them there. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Was it because of a spell? Possibly. Oh, <laughs> come on. Uh, not really. I wouldn't call it a spell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is it an enchantment? I'm not, I'm not doing this. Okay, fine. I'll wait and let it all be revealed in front of me magically through the power of storytelling. <laughs> I have read the first maybe third of the book a casual vacancy yeah J. rowling's like first big adult follow-up to harry potter and i remember thinking like boy these small town characters are being like jk rowling hates these people she is going in on these people so hard she, they are so small-minded and petty and like irredeemably terrible but now reading uh harry potter I see that the town from A Casual Vacancy is just a town full of Dursleys. And like more nuanced Dursleys, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but basically it's the same attitude yeah. of like J.K. Rowling is so like these people show not even a glimmer of like kindness or generosity towards Harry, who is, as we mentioned, our point of view character. Yeah. So it's interesting because I feel like that's a very conscious on J.K. Rowling's part, this sort of you know depiction of the everyday world as sort of like sort of like so like constricting and unpleasant and just like uncaring but it also is almost feels sort of accidental because she's just right here really i mean i know there's a larger story being told about this all these characters but in this book she's just setting up this world that we want to leave behind as readers and so she really could have done anything here as long as it got across the point that harry is not happy here he wants to leave and the way she chose to do it was by making these like very specifically like their foibles and like the ways in which they are hateful and, and terrible are very feel very real it's they're not quite they're sort of cartoonish but like when you they're just cartoonish enough yes and when you like finally hear from petunia Dursley, like why like the, like, like the whole thing root is rooted in her jealousy and hatred of her sister it rings so true and like you really feel like oh these people there's a reason that they're like this mm -hmm. they're terrible but they have like there is a philosophy behind their hatred yeah. of Harry. They're believable. They're believably terrible. And that is so... But also, like, they're just us. Like, they're just the muggle world. Yeah, the one... One of the, like, sort of qualms I have is that the Dursleys are, are, are really the only muggles we know in, in, in the world. Um, yeah. I mean, not totally, like, but... But basically, they're the only ones we get to know because we don't really meet, like, Hermione's parents ever. They sound lovely. Yeah, they're dentists. They're dentists. <laughs> um, and and I think that's just like that's kind of a that's kind of a thing that's hard to like really like sit down and parse. <laughs> like I really enjoyed the first chapter of this book, and the first chapter of a lot of the books, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, because they are usually told from this sort of like omnipotent but slightly. Uh, you know, biased point of view. It like the the not Harry point of view because he's not around to be watching whatever's mm -hmm. happening. I really like them as sort of establishing the tone of the world and getting to see from another perspective. She does that a few more times in the books, and I I think it. I always find those chapters really interesting. Some people don't like them, but I do. It's one of those things that I just like. It's that you want to know so much more about this world. Like even you even want to know more about how muggles exist in this world right like even even the non-magical parts of this world you want to know 
about that. And I think that is like how she makes that so compelling is beyond me. Because even from the very beginning, muggles and wizards are right up next to each other. Like mm-hmm. in the first chapter, like Mr. Dursley runs into a bunch of wizards who are basically celebrating the fact that Voldemort is dead. And like not openly, openly, but basically like right in front of him in like everyday normal London, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, it sort of is weird in a way, but also like immediately like, you know, captures your imagination like, oh, there's a parallel world, but it's not so far removed from this world that it's totally separate yeah it's not like say a narnia where yeah, you that's step exactly through what i was thinking mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> same. same like you're not in a separate universe yeah things still function the way in a way that is recognizable to you mm-hmm. a, a, like a child basically like yeah. a, a young reader you can picture how the world works as you understand it but this has is that and you know follows the same rules basically but with magic yeah i think that's part of part of what makes it so compelling is that you're not going into a magical realm that is totally separate from the the human realm like like a lot of sort of fantasy books for children you're not you know when you're leaving behind something you're going to this world that's not you know not of our earth or whatever you you're discovering a world that is that could in some ways exist in our like she's positing Mm. that like this world could exist in our world you know like it doesn't obviously magic's not real but like (laughs) just nice disclaimer (laughs) when you're when you're 11 you're like oh i wonder it's easy to believe right it's very easy to buy in yeah i I don't know if i have a solution to like i mean this will probably develop as the books go on Mm -hmm. but from the point of view of the first book just from that perspective the Dursleys are the world around you as a reader, like your real life. These are the people you know and like relate to on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of worth noting, I think, that they are so miserable. Yeah, I guess that what I'm trying to say is like the book's not, they're not escapist necessarily. No, but you are, you know, Harry does sort of escape from the yeah. world in a way because Hogwarts is, you know, in the real world, but yeah. you have to like go through a magical portal to get there essentially. Yeah. Like it is, it is separate from our world in a way. Which I think is why I find like the rest of the Wizarding World so fascinating. Like as the world expands and you learn about like, you know, like Diagon Alley and 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 you know, Wizard Banks and <laughs> and the government and you know all this. Like that part is the fascinating part, to me, personally. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Also, just to put a button in this, uh, the Dursleys named their son Dudley. Dursley? Dudley Dursley? Dudley Dursley. Get out of here with that. Get out of here. Get out of here. No way. I think just one of the things I want to bring up as far as like characters, because we're talking about the Dursleys, and I think that's a good sort of place to stop, but I think... um, I will never stop talking (laughs) about the Dursleys. Um, I think what what Rowling does really well is... um, you know, she writes foils very well. There's there's lots of people who like echo each other, but aren't... um, aren't the same and, and bring out the differences in each other. Like Draco and Harry obviously are, are, are that, but in a lot of ways, like Draco, Harry, Neville and Ron are all like the sort of same form character at the base, but they all are like all four of them are very different and have very different qualities and strengths and weaknesses and stuff. And I think that is like such an interesting thing to look at because in a lot of ways, like Draco and Harry are, are, are foils, but I also think that Draco and Ron are foils. And I think Harry and Neville are, but in a different way um, that'll come later. Yeah, I think it's just like, I think she does a really good job sort of like setting up characters to highlight qualities that she wants to highlight in each other. And I think the character that doesn't get that is Dumbledore, which is why he has this sort of mysterious thing. And Dumbledore is such a complicated character for me. But that dude's messed up. And I have a lot of feelings about it, but I'm not going to get into it. Well, don't spoil anything. Because in this (laughs) book, Dumbledore is like, I remembered, you know, and my vague memory from the later movies, I sort of had it in my mind that Dumbledore and Harry were like basically like chums from the get go. Mm-hmm. But he really doesn't actually like interact with them. He did twice in this book, basically. It's like after the deal with the magical mirror and then like after, after the end of the book has happened, he, he, he interacts with Dumbledore like mm-hmm. twice. And then both times are like Dumbledore is this whimsical sort of character. Like he says he's going to say a few words at the beginning of the school year. And those words are there's a string of. Wacky Wait, words. Can you remember them? I think it's the... I think it's Nitwit, Blubber, Oddment, and Tweak. Does that mm. have significance later on, or is that just his... No. Okay. Mm, I don't know sure? why I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to your point, the, the, that's, a good, that's a good thing, because I also... 
you know, I didn't think about this as I was reading the book. I was thinking, you know, boy, Draco, he sure is. He's terrible. Like he's really, really bad. And that's because, you know, for a lot of, well, several reasons to get into there. Uh, but mainly it's because this is, again, a book for children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need to have that foil immediately and have it be very apparent from the get-go. Yeah. So that means Draco is not like, you know, a sort of normal kid who's mean sometimes. It means like from, like, moment one, he's being mean for no reason. Yeah. And that just sort of brings out, you know, it, you know so in contrast, we see that Harry is, you know, a little bit more kind and caring, cares more about people who can't so, so much care for themselves. Mm-hmm. He's not... You know, he has money in the same way Draco does. Not in the same way, but they both have lots of money, basically. Yeah. But Harry's, you know, he's cool about it. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't hate Ron because Ron's not as rich as he is. Yeah. It's like Harry, Draco, Ron, and Neville are all kind of from like old wizarding pure blood families, but they all like hold on to that so differently. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry, because he didn't know his whole life. Right. And then, you know, he has that sort of thrust upon him. And then Draco has been raised to, to, you know, this is your life and this is your legacy and you, you're you better than everyone else. And then, you know, Ron, who's like, you know, his family is old, but not respected because they don't have money. And, you know, Neville feeling like he can never actually live up to his name. And that, mm-hmm. it's the, I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to, in, in terms of, good or bad characters, I do want to touch on something that has always bothered me and continues to bother me to this day, which is the sorting hat yeah. and the idea of the houses. Because yes. there are, Hogwarts has four houses. Yes. Uh, we all know them. Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and thunder sounds, ominous rolling thunder <laughs> sounds, Slytherin. Yeah. Which is, like, let's, you know, we don't have to get into too much like the later books to do this, but that's the evil house. That's the evil house. That's where the evil children go. Mm-hmm. But so there's either, there's two possibilities there. One is, you know, these kids are evil and the hat knows that immediately. Like, oh, these this is the bad kid. Because, you know, Slytherin is Voldemort's house. Yeah. And like all the people who are associated with that, that in the book are bad, gross, nasty, evil people. And so either the hat knows the kids are evil, in which case the hat should say, oh, this is a bad kid. Expel them immediately. They're evil. <laughs> They're going to be evil later on. Or it's a much more complex and messed up psychological conditioning thing where because you are placed in the evil house, you are more likely to become evil later on in your life. I feel like it's that. Neither is good, though. Neither is good. Both are very bad. Well, here's the thing. I think some of that is... It's not as fleshed out as I would like it to be later in the books. I'm just going to warn you. I think, think, you know, Slytherin House doesn't really get redeemed, which is upsetting. But because it's it's a plot device, basically, um, we don't get a lot of characters from Slytherin House that are good characters. There are a few. I think that that's, you know, working on it. But I think think also in just in this particular, like, time period also, like... There's this sort of like, you know, the kids who are all here are all like the children of people who fought in the last war and like (laughs) are on one side or the other. Um, And that sort of plays a role. But it's also that, you know, Salazar Slytherin had rules about, you know, who could be in his house also. Um, True. I think I, I do think it is it is more complicated than that. But because we only have Harry's point of view, also, we don't get to see the complexity, you know? Right, and I'm sure that complexity will develop like over time throughout the the books. Mm-hmm. But I want to say my impression from the get-go basically has been what I just described to you. Yeah. And it's not it's not ideal. Yeah. Um although that said like when people sort themselves into houses, everyone I know who's a Slytherin is a very proud Slytherin. Well, yeah, of course it is cuz like yeah. people like it's the attraction to the villain that we all have and yeah. like cuz villains can be like compelling and dynamic characters yeah. in the way the heroes can't always be. And I say this to say that, like, you know, I've been sort of, like, my attitude towards Harry Potter has been sort of dismissive for a lot of my life, which I'm not proud of. That's very antithetical to the uh, spirit of this podcast, especially. That's true. So that, that's sort of, like, you know, but the hat thing I do feel, but it's also sort of been, like, a way for me to be like, yeah, it's, it's Harry Potter, but, yeah, you know, just an obnoxious person you would never want to be around. Yeah. But I'll say this now, reading this book now, I totally also get it because the idea of, like, going to a school and being like, I'm going to be on a team immediately and that's going to be all my friends and we're all like on the same team. That's so exciting. I love that. Especially for like, I'm sure a lot of lonely kids. Yeah. The idea of like, you go to a 
school and a magical hat tells you who your friends are. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds very, amazing, right? It sounds right? great. And, and I, I think... And the idea of, like, they all have their own special, like, wings of the school, basically, and yeah. their own, like, traditions and, like, cl colors and clothes. That's awesome. Like, I love it. It's that amazing. Activates a very deep, like, 10-year-old part of my brain. Exactly, like, my reaction to that, and thank you for putting it into words. <laughs> I also think, you know, Slytherin is, like, it also, like, its traits are, like, ambition and, and cleverness, and I think that is something that's... <laughs> and, I mean, yes, but also deviousness <laughs> and evil <laughs> and racial purity. <laughs> And I think the sort of um, the house system in general and the uh, the divide between the houses and how, you know, your friends are the people in your house and that's it kind of comes into play later um, mm -hmm. and, oh, and yeah. how that's maybe not a good thing, mm. at least a little bit. Interesting. Well, again, yeah, I, I can't make any judgments right now. I will say I am feeling more positive about it going into this book. What is your Hogwarts house? Um, I believe last time I took the sort of bootleg... Pottermore quiz, mm -hmm. I was Gryffindor. It was that, or when I was younger, I think before, but this, this is pre-Pottermore, which I sort yeah. of consider the canonical version of the quiz. I, I got, I got I, Hufflepuff. I feel like you're a Hufflepuff. I've always felt like more of a Hufflepuff. That I feels feel like more you're a Hufflepuff and Sarah's a Slytherin, and that's like, that feels right. Does that, does that mean something? I don't know. I just feel like that's, that's a like, just dynamic that I, that like I see like batted around a lot as far as like applying houses to different characters and stuff. And I feel like that's the dynamic you guys have. I'll say this. <laughs> Hogwarts houses makes more sense as a way to categorize people than astrology does. <laughs> nice. Uh, I feel that pretty strongly, actually. Yeah. No, me too. <laughs> yeah, what's your house? Ravenclaw. Okay. I don't really know what that means. It means I'm bookish. <laughs> they're, they're not really a, f a factor in, these early, yes. in this early book. Yes. But I also am like Ravenclaw, but also like sort of a self-selected Ravenclaw. Like I, I, I wanted to be there, but also that is what I got in the Pottermore quiz. I should take it again before the next episode we do. Yeah. To, get, to make it official. You might have to do a new account. Uh, I, I don't actually have a Pottermore account. Okay. This is you like, did like a bootleg quiz? Yeah, the bootleg quiz. Oh, see, when I did the bootleg quiz, I got Ravenclaw, but on the actual Pottermore quiz, right, you don't get all the questions. You only get certain questions. So if the algorithm is set up for you to get like specific questions mm. you can i think it can be wrong i think you should have to answer all the questions so yeah I, I will take that quiz and report back you can also get your wand and learn your patronus i hope i get a fish and get sorted into your ilvermorny house which is the american wait i mean school. patronus what's that <laughs> i don't know what that is kelsey <laughs> this is the first book of the seven book series anyway what were we doing we're talking about houses we're talking about the houses we're talking about just the world of the books yeah because okay well that, that's Get this out of the way real quick. What yeah. the book ends up being about. Yeah. So Harry is suspicious of Snape. Mm -hmm. He thinks Snape is trying to get the Philosopher's Stone in order to live forever, I guess. It's not clear why Snape would want to do that, but Snape's just like a nasty, mean teacher. We so don't like Snape. We don't like Snape, so he's the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione team up. They go through some challenges together. Mm -hmm. They, you know, test their mettle and their wits. Turns out it's actually the Defense of the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Quirrell. Professor Quirrell. Uh, it's a twist. It's a twist. That, that, that I think is important because it's, we yes. are meant to believe it's going to be Snape throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. And then when he walks through the, literally the fire in the last mm -hmm. chapter to meet the villain, it's Quirrell, mm -hmm. which is a... With Voldemort on its head. With Vol and Voldemort's <laughs> back, yeah. So basically, Voldemort is trying to come back. He's only mm -hmm. able to do it through Quirrell's body. Mm -hmm. uh, he's making Quirrell do a lot of messed up stuff, like drink unicorn blood and also have a face in the back of his head at all times. <laughs> But they, and they sort of and again this is like you know it's the climax of the book it's the most dramatic moment this is the return sort of in a way of the man who killed Harry's parents and who is like the most feared wizard of all time. Now granted this early in the series that doesn't have the same weight it might later on in the books, but right now it's still like uh oh the scary wizard is back. What's Harry gonna do? And Kelsey, how does Harry get out of this this snafu he finds himself in? He just stands in front of a mirror and. Is good. Is good. Basically. Yeah, I like I think I was saying that the climax of the book isn't about fighting, it's about feeling, which is good because Harry's eleven and he can't fight anybody. Right. <laughs> um he doesn't really do anything. He is just Harry. Yes. And you know, I think it's really kind of hard to write like a chosen one narrative that is compelling, but JK Rowling manages to do it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, Harry's very likable. Yeah, I think one of the reasons is also that Harry's you know, at least early on in the books, 
Harry's chosen one status is based on the thing that's already happened. Yeah. So it's not, you don't have these books with like, there was a prophecy that foretold that one day a young boy would rise up and da da da. You open with like, oh, this thing happened and now people think this guy's special and maybe he is. Yeah. And probably in some way he is, but for now he's just a kid who had like a rough, rough thing happen to him. Yeah. And it is, it is nice. I mean, it's not the most satisfying climax, but it's, you know. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he like, Quirrell couldn't touch him because he was too good. And that is special. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, but basically the the mirror just like knows Harry isn't bad and knows he did like he doesn't want the disown for himself. He just wants to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And granted, we've seen like, you know, Harry has not just gotten this point by accident. He's gotten here because he's made friends with these cool people. He's learned stuff. He's sort of, you know, is taking the initiative to do this thing, to try to try to do the right thing and stop this stone from falling into the wrong hands. So he's not there just, you know, just because he's like a chosen one, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. He's there of his own volition. It's just that maybe the way he defeats the you know, Quirrell and the Voldemort face is not so satisfying. But I think there's enough, you know, it's exciting enough to that point that you you don't care too much. Mm-hmm. And then it is basically over then. Harry wakes up and Dumbledore is there and Dumbledore kind of explains the entire plot of the book up to this point, essentially. Oh, Quirrell does a full-on Bond villain monologue, by the way, when he gets Harry. He's like, yeah. you thought it was this because of this reason, but actually I was there doing this thing and you never knew. <laughs> now Snape die! Snape trying to protect you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you find out Snape was actually trying to protect Harry because Harry, sorry, because Snape hated Harry's dad. Right. But Harry's dad saved Snape's life. Yes. And now Snape feels like he needs to save Harry's life so you can go back to hating Harry's dad. Supposedly. Which I, which I which, yeah, supposedly so far. I know it develops from then and we'll, we'll get to that, Kelsey. You'll yeah. have your, you'll have, you'll have your moment. <laughs> um, but I think that sort of, it rings like, and Harry is like, I don't really get that. And Dumbledore's like, yeah, you're kind of young to get that. Yeah. And like, I, that makes sense. Like as an older yeah. reader, like I sort of see like, oh, that's, it's like people are complicated in a way that, that sort of fits but into. That fits as a motivation. And Harry wouldn't get that. Yeah. Because he's like 11. That really rang true to me. Yeah. And this is, again, the second time we see Dumbledore, and he's like, is this figure that does not have a foil? He sort of exists yeah. as a, a separate, like, not quite godlike, but very yeah. sort of, like, paternal in a way, but also, like, mystical and unknowable. But he's, you get the feeling that he's he's very warm, and he's on Harry's side. Well, and also, what I think is, is hard to get out of this, because of how well Alan Rickman portrays Snape in the movies, yes. is that Snape, the character, is, like, 32. <laughs> He's like our age. <laughs> oh no. Cause Harry's parents were like twenty when they had him. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda of implied that wizards get married and have kids like a lot younger because they don't really do college. <laughs> That's true, because their their college starts at age eleven and ends at eighteen. And yeah. then you're sort of just out there, baby. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, a, a fair number of them do. And or maybe it's like that particular generation because there was a war going on when they got out of school. <laughs> yeah. Um and now does Snape being 32 have a like affect things to you for you? To me, like, because I always pictured him before, you know, reading the books and really thinking about it as like, you know, mid 40s. Yeah. Early 50s. Yeah. Professor like. Yes. Whereas like, you know, he's our age. <laughs> That's weird. Right. That's weird to think about. So, you know, I like because but in the same way you're saying like, no, I understand that motivation. Like, that's a very like young adult motivation yeah it's 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 a very like yeah like that's the way like a 30 year old would react to like his 17 year old self basically yeah <laughs> um that's right i didn't think about that because i i'm always going to picture him as alan rickman that's never not going to happen alan rickman did an amazing job uh, and, alan rickman was was fantastic he and, was great and they all of all of um that sort of generation is cast a lot older than they actually are in the oh um yeah in the uh in the books <laughs> there's implied to be a lot more time between them finishing school and them dying than there actually <laughs> is. Um, so just like keep that keep that in mind because like because now that I'm I'm reading it like at this age like I'm like oh no like Snape's like you know 30 32 like why are you being so mean to these children why are you being so mean to these you weird 32 year old <laughs> what are you doing man you know like and and I think that just changes how you look at people you know it does yeah I'm surprised we haven't seen that wave of like tumblr and twitter and facebook posts well maybe you have I, the, 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 like i can't believe that now i'm the age that snape was the start of the harry potter <laughs> I books i haven't actually seen those and a thousand notes like oh my god this broke my brain whoa <laughs> i'm so old 
that's coming. That's coming. It's coming. That's yeah, when people coming. when people get wise to what when people hear this podcast, <laughs> it's gonna blow their minds. It's gonna blow their minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say I have one thing here that I didn't know how to yeah. work into the episode proper, but it's in my notes. My one note for chapter thirteen of this book is I love Neville. You are correct. I love him. I love that Neville little, little is, goofball. Neville is the purest character. He's amazingly in the pure. Whole series. He is just such a sweet little. He's a sweet boy. Sweet little like butterball doesn't know what what to do, falling all over the place. <laughs> I He's have great. questions for you. Okay, what are your questions? One, we were talking about the twist. Like, how much did you remember and how much was spoiled? Like, did you remember, like, as you were reading, oh, there's a twist at the end of this? Because that twist's in the movie, too, and you read the books yeah. before. I remember, of the first three books, mm-hmm. I remember the endings of each of them. And I actually specifically remember where I was reading the endings of all three books. Because really? Of, because of how, like, that was, like, new for me. Because, like, I was, like, maybe nine reading these books maybe around around eight nine or ten probably i don't think i read them right when they were coming out but around that time so i'd never really read like books that had that sort of plotting in them so getting to the like the climax of a harry potter book was like i gotta know what's gonna happen next i will stay here in my car during this family reunion hunched over in the seat laying down so i can read comfortably and i will finish the first harry potter book by myself alone I basically missed the first like two days of my family vacation. The summer the fifth one came <laughs> out because Ellen and I went, I made my, we were flying on the plane and I made my dad, this is fodder for the fifth episode, but <laughs> I made my dad take me and Ellen to the, the midnight release the night before. I was like, I'm not getting on that plane without that book. <laughs> and he was like, you can get in the airport. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it might be sold out in there. You listen to me, Bart. <laughs> listen to me, Bart. I'm not getting on the plane I'm without not, that I'm book. I'm not getting on that plane. <laughs> and and then we left the next day. And I just we just spent the first, because um, Ellen came on vacation with me. Um, we just spent the first two days of vacation just like in our room reading. <laughs> 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 so to answer your question. Yes. I remember the remember the ending of the first three books very clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything before that is all kind of a blur. I remember there being a troll at one point, which there was. There was a troll. Um, but a lot of it was really like fresh to me. Like the uh, back the first book opens on the Dursleys was a shock to me. I very clearly remembered it opening with uh, Dumbledore using that little thing to turn off the lights in the street. That's the movie. Which I thought was the coolest thing ever. That's so the movie begins that way. Yeah. Okay. My second question was, what was your favorite part? Mm. Or what part, like, one, what part do you, like, want to know more about? Like, what part of the world are you into that you want to know more about? That's sort of, you know, uh, we talked about this, but, yeah, I, I really am taking it, like, my big takeaway from this first book is, A, this thing is really moves. Like, you cannot stop reading this thing once you start. It is nope. super addictive. Uh, for a lot of reasons that I think we've gotten into a little bit, but we'll continue to break down in future episodes. Uh, the biggest thing, like we said, is the world is so like surprisingly compelling. Small things that don't aren't obtrusive, though. It's not like you know when you have like a fantasy story, yeah. and they do that awful thing where they're like, "Oh, I haven't seen anything like this since the Battle of So and So, and we fought the dreaded blah 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 the da da." And everyone's like, "Yeah, I remember that." And you're like, "No, I don't remember that. I wasn't there. Yeah. Why are you talking about that in front of me?" <laughs> Uh, with this, like you hear things and people, you know, they're so, so sort of so natural and casual. It doesn't that, feel like they're shoehorned in. No, but you just go like, wait, what's that about? What's going on there? What's wait, no, there? I, I want to re- know. I want to read that fake book Hermione mentioned one sentence of. Right. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about the first book in the series? You know, I, I mean, I have many, many thoughts, but none of them final. You just want to pick a thought at random and have that be your final <laughs> thought. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Good. It's a good book. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I got that across. That, that I see why people. Yeah. I basically agree with everything you've said this episode. I, I see why people got so compelled by this. Like why it, it draws you in really, really quickly, and like yeah. there's no fussing around. Yeah. Everything is like it's both episodic and kind of like you know it's not super. It's not streamlined. I guess the plot yeah. is is not very. Yeah, it sort of wanders around a bit. It's but, not telegraphed. No, know? but everything everything really feels in in place. Nothing feels extraneous. Even things like don't really super go anywhere. Still, like mm-hmm. turn out to be more important than they may have seen. Mm-hmm. And I'll get more into that in the next book, I think. But yeah. it's really it's really well written. Like what she does here is like it's no small feat to do this. And like this could have easily gone poorly, and the whole pop culture landscape as we know would be different. <laughs> it would be 
a whole different thing. It'd be it'd be so different. So yeah. I just wanted before we go, I want to take some time to acknowledge like what a impressive piece of writing this is, and that it like because it's easy to take it for granted now because like oh it's Harry Potter, it's of course it was successful, it's Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but it didn't have to be, but it was, mm-hmm. and that that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. Anyway, join us next time when we discuss well you know Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yes, yes, a perhaps. Sometimes overlooked book in the series. I would say so. Owing both the the boring movie and its sort of, you know, status in between the iconic first one and the beloved third one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're going to take another look at it mm-hmm. with a, you know, with a, with a friend, a close with personal a friend, friend. A close personal friend. A first time guest. First time guest. Mm, get excited. I am. Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album available now on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Please like us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on wherever you want to subscribe. Rate and review. Do all that good stuff. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. This is a good jumping on point, I think. I think. I I hoped it would be. I said some pretty weird stuff early on that I might cut out, but, you know, (laughs) that's just the flavor, man. That's just how I am. I I gotta be me. Gotta be you. Yeah. And we'll see you back next time. Thanks for listening. Mischief managed. I felt yeah. felt okay. I felt okay. I thought it would feel really dorky, but it actually feels okay. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I am Kelsey Goldman. And this is the first episode of our special limited event series. That's right. You you asked for it. You, did, you didn't ask for it. We're doing it anyway. But we're doing it. it. It's for you. Let me take this one more time. Try one again. more time. They got a little combative there. I'm going to take it one more time. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, the podcast the po- the only podcast that exists. <laughs> the podcast about. Do you want me to do it? You want to do it? I'll yeah, try. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's a big episode for us. Okay. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, the podcast about forcing your friends to like the things that you like. I'm Kelsey Goldman. I'm Jason Edwards. That felt weird. And I thought it felt good. <laughs> it felt good if you just sit back and just let it, let it. Okay, we'll, we'll do one where I do it. Okay.